we are in the Advent season, which really, really is a, the focus of, of a Christian is really this focus of Christ and who is he and, and why did he come and, and uh, the idea that we would enter the Advent season looking forward to his coming uh, on our side of the cross is we have such an advantage. Can you imagine trying to read through the prophets and try to glean from the, the, from the prophets and from the Old Testament what was this thing that God was going to do that was going to bring this new thing in and that who would the Savior be? Would he, would he just be a king that would, would save us from oppression from several different governments? Start Babylon. You can go all the way down through the Roman government where there's this persecution that's going on and, and definitely uh, governmentally he would be a king that would take things over and, and maybe in a Jewish mind that that's what this whole Advent season would be about. But on this side of the cross, we understand that not only was he a king, but he was a prophet and he was a priest. And he was the sacrificial lamb that really Isaiah talks about. And that would have just blown the mind of someone who really could put it all together as an Old Testament saint to realize do you mean the one who is going to come is actually going to lower himself down to be the sacrificial lamb? That he would actually step into the place of that? Why, why wouldn't he just fix things the way they were? Why wouldn't he just take over the world and put the Jewish nation at the forefront and, and God's plan could be revealed? But what would be missing in all that is this. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father through a king. They come through the, to the Father by a lamb, that perfect sacrificial lamb that would take away our sins, not our oppression, not necessarily governmental types of constraints. But Jesus had to come the way he came because Advent is the advent, advent of the coming king, but also the coming savior who would take his place on my cross to pay for my sin. And he couldn't have done that if he stayed a king for this time period. But he will come back as a king. He will come back. Two-thirds of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus are actually to come yet. So we've only seen one-third of those, and you realize how many coins he would be betrayed for, where he would be, he would come from, what line he would come from. All of those prophecies are great, but there are still two-thirds of them to be fulfilled. And so we look forward to the advent of that too as well as we celebrate Christmas well, one of the very first things that, uh, the very first topics that we talk about is the advent of Christ is God brings hope, and he brings hope through Christ. Um, it is said that you can go 40 days without food. I wouldn't want to test that, but it says that you could do that. Three days without water and about eight minutes without air. I wouldn't want to test that one either. But it is said that you can't go any, any, any further without hope. And time again, you realize that, that there's been studies done. One was Dr. Harold Wolf, who was a professor at Cornell University in the medical school. He did a study on the effects of hope on the human body. So they kind of hooked up electrodes and the whole bit. He studied 25,000 prisoners of war over an extended period of time to see what hope did to them and what difference it made. He would actually study them and see what kind of physical effects that this wartime thing had on them and whether they, what degrees of hope they had. And if they had degrees of hope, how did that affect how their physical being was? Was it better or was it worse? 
And as his studies came to uh, come to fruition, he discovered that out of those 25,000 POWs, there was one group of men on whom the experience of being a POW had no effect at all, in spite of the brutality, in spite of the torture, in spite of solitary confinement, in spite of all the kinds of inhumane abuse. This one group just didn't get phased. There was no post-traumatic stress syndrome. They didn't get ill. They had, didn't have flashbacks. They had just handled it and went on with their life. When he studied the group, the one common denominator was the extraordinary high level of hope. Hope makes all the difference in the world, he says. It is essential for handling the crises of life. In his concluding study, he said, when a man has hope, he's capable of bearing incredible burdens and cruel punishments. But when hope is gone, people fall apart emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Hope is essential to us as Christians. If we do not have hope, everything changes and our perspective on life as we are his mouthpiece, his feet, and we are his grace to a world. Hope is so important to us. Well, as we look at this topic of hope, realize that there's <laughs> there's, a, there's this tie in between faith and hope. And if you were to look at the Advent candles, you might expect one of those to be faith. I've always thought that, that there should be a faith candle up there. I just think there should be. But because there's such a close tie in between faith and hope, I really believe that it's kind of together. It really is. Hebrews 11.1 1 ties them together very closely. And you realize that, that faith is really just the intellectual part uh, that precedes hope. And so our, our objectives of our faith is really what we hope for. And as we recognize that faith is the confidence in what we hope for, as Hebrews 11.1 1 points out, faith is the confidence, this, this expectation of what we hope for. And so a person who has faith has some kind of hope that their faith is placed in. I have faith that this is going to come about. I have faith that God's word is true. And then I can expect what he says in his, his word about me in the future to be absolutely true. That's where our hope is placed. And so we have hope. We have hope for the present. We have hope for the future. Sometimes our hope for the present is, Lord, just get me through today. I've got a really tough day today. Or whatever that situation may be, if some difficult, difficult scenario but our hope for the future is much greater than what it is today. The tyranny, the urgent kind of takes us over, and we recognize that that's what happens to us as we, we kind of get into the rut of just looking at today rather than looking in the future. And as we were looking through Hebrews 11 and 12, recognizing that those people were being persecuted, greatly persecuted to the point where they were being tortured, their, their, their mainstay, the thing that kept them solid in their faith was the fact of what they look forward to not their present circumstances. And we as Christians have to look at that same situation and go, okay, this is what God has for me now, and he has his purposes, and they are far above my reasoning. And for me to question them is just to, to just put ourselves right in the throne of, throne of God. Why did this happen? Why am I going through this difficult situation? To even question that is just to realize that God has so, God has so much more understanding of his whole picture. And we can look back on our lives and sometimes realize that sometimes the things that God put in our place were there for a very good reason. We even get to see that. Not always do we see that. But hope is the ability to actually look forward to what God has given to us to look forward to with an assurance that is a confident expectation. And that's what faith is. 
So I expect to do this. I anticipate to do this. I'm going to do this. These are all kind of, a, uh, kind of statements of, of hope. And if I was to ask you one thing that you were hopeful for this season, just now, here and now, what would that be? I'm going to throw a Snickers to someone who will verbalize that. One of your hopes for Christmas season. See your family. Who said that? I'm going to throw it to Chance and he can deliver it. <laughs> okay. See family. And as a time in Christmas, we realize that, that we are a part of families and families are just, that's a part of what uh, Advent is all about because as we recognize that God was all about family, wasn't he? And you and I have been adopted into his family. We are a part of his family. And as we come together, there's that sense in which there's some sort of this uh, understanding that we are going to spend eternity. Austin and I are brothers for eternity. We are brothers and sisters for eternity. Why? Because we've been adopted into the what? Into the same family, into the family of God, recognizing what we have to look forward to. And that's one of our hopes. But some of our hopes are tied up in this. I would like to be married uh, have any, has anyone ever had that hope before? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but so I know how this works. It's like, oh, I hope to be married. I've talked to several individuals. Who, I hope to be married. I just don't know where that person is. And, and there is this sense in which that, where I hope to graduate. And I talked to one of my coworkers who's also working towards the end of the degree. And you can just see the stress on her face time for her. And there's this expectation and hope that she will graduate. Or maybe you're at the end of your career and you're hoping to retire or get, get this or lose this. I hope to lose 30 pounds or three pounds or three ounces or whatever the hope is <laughs> between now and Christmas or before now and whenever I have to have pictures taken. But we realize all of our hopes, some of them, some of them are temporal and very much here and now, but our hope that is eternal. And without knowing those promises, we can't have hope in something that we don't confidently understand um, and what God has prepared for us. Ephesians 2, as Pastor Tri went through Ephesians 2, is really just this very, the first time I ever read this, I thought to myself, I wonder why I had never understood this before. Way, way back, I read Ephesians 2.1. And when you recognize Ephesians 2.1 is the statement is just, in a, just a, a condition of where we are before we know Christ. As for you, and I want you to picture yourself as putting yourself in that word. As for you, Austin, as for you, Renee, as for you, Mike, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. When that finally hits the bottom of your stomach and you realize, I was dead? You mean I was dead at one point in time? What, what do you mean I was dead? Physically, you were alive because you're still alive. And that's, that's something that's in the physical realm. But spiritually, every single one of us were dead. We were completely uh, set apart from God. We, we had no relationship with him because of our sin. And, and I, I thought to myself when I was growing up, well, I go to church. We went to church every single Sunday. You were dead. I was dead for 19 years, spiritually. And there came a point in time where that condition changed, but it was not because of what I was doing, but what Christ did for me. In which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, are also, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, and now we are as filthy rich as you can possibly imagine. Spiritually speaking, you are as rich as you will ever be. You just can't attain it because you're not with Christ. But it's already there. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no separation between you and that other than the fact that you physically will pass away first before we come into the presence of Christ. If you have a personal relationship with Christ, meaning that you have received him as your, as your Savior and you are following him in an abiding relationship with him, you are already rich. You just haven't picked up your package yet. You haven't picked up your new body. You haven't picked up this eternal state that will happen when you are with Christ and we are going to share an inheritance that's described in Ephesians. Unimaginable inheritance, actually. Sometimes we get our hope kind of mixed up. And sometimes we think to ourselves, I, I hope this, but I, I don't know that I'm really going to get it. There was a four-year-old girl who wrote, Dear Santa, I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. And you realize if we, if we, if, if we sit in that situation spiritually, I, I'll take whatever, you, maybe the scraps from the spiritual table, whatever. Boy, there's no hope in that, is there? But I just haven't been that good. And then you realize, wow, not only were you not good, but as for you, you were what? You were dead. I, you were dead in the water. You and I were dead, spiritually dead, no hope. And the only thing that could remove that state of deadness was what? Our living hope. Our living hope. We're going to sing that as our last song. It is our living hope. And he still lives. And because of that and because of his resurrection, we too also can look forward to living with him. Another one, dear Santa, I'm not looking, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. The Etch-A-Sketch animator. Two packs of number two pencils. Very, must be a future engineer. Crayola fat markers and the big gift. Oh, my own color TV. Well, maybe you could drop the pencils. I don't want to be really that selfish. <laughs> you realize? In Christ, we don't have to be selfish because what? We get it all. The color TV is nothing compared to what you're going to see. I has not what? And you realize, wow, it doesn't matter if you have 4K, 8K, 12K. I has never seen what you're going to see when you're in heaven. You and I will see things that we could not even imagine. God made us alive because of his son. And we have the, this relationship with him. And, and not just here, but, but also in the future. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's where we were dead in our transgressions. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And you realize, wow, Eve fell to the thief, right? She tempted. She was tempted. We, too, are tempted and we fall. And yet at the same time, because of Christ's coming, the thief doesn't win. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And in Christmas season, a lot of times you're just like, wow, i got so many things to do. I've got this thing going on and this party going on. Got to get the Christmas lights up. Got to get... How many of you actually shot for presents already? Raise your hands if you've got all of them done. All of them done. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to talk to you and you and you and how you do that. <laughs> Get on Amazon or something. And you realize, wow, there's just things to do in this season. It's very busy. Burdened. And Jesus said, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And there is this sense in which, you know what? It's going to be okay. God is going gonna, is gonna to bring us through. Not just this, but when we're sick, there's an illness. When there's, when there's a relational thing that's going on that's got us just burdened down, God allows us to come to him directly in confidence. Hebrews 4, 16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may find mercy in our time of need. And you realize, wow, we approach him just confidently. How can we approach the king, the prophet, and the priest confidently? Only because we know who? His son. Jesus Christ, as we come to God, who is this, who is this all-knowing, all all-powerful God, we come to him and we just, we just lay our burdens out to him. It's kind of just like, wow, you know, I know who you are, but I can still talk to you because I'm your kid. I belong to you. And there's a relationship thing that we sometimes miss that we have such an opportunity, such a, a blessing in having. Well, in Hebrews 6, again, he's writing to the Hebrews and, and they're a persecuted people in this, this new Christian way, the way. And so he says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And what is this whole flight and fleeing types of things? Well, they were literally fleeing for their lives. They had a job and then they didn't have a job. They were persecuted. They were cut in half. You read through the book of Hebrews and you realize he is writing to, to people who are almost in a state of war. They're, it's almost like they are going through what would be, they're going to have some post-traumatic problems. They are being persecuted to the point of being thrown into the lines. You realize Nero and all the things that he would do, he would, he would burn people almost like candles at his parties, Christians. And they were going through this. And so as the writer of Hebrews writes to them, he writes to them to remind them of the hope that they have to look forward to. Well, when you know you're facing possible just persecution and possibly just being burned at the stake, one of the things that allows you to, to, to even just face the day is the fact that there's something greater what to look forward to. That at the end of the day, no matter what happens, that God has you. The writer of Hebrews says that he allows us to get a picture of this. What it is that God has for us us as we go through this very difficult life. It says that we're sojourners. We're passing through this world. And the more difficult this world is, and in this particular case for the Hebrews, very, very difficult. I doubt none any of us experience that sort of kind of persecution. But the same thing is true when we're going through difficulty and things that we can't control, what anchors us our relationship with him, and the hope that we have to look forward to, that at one point in time, things will be okay. That God will allow us to be in his presence. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What does an anchor do? What's it used for? Hold you in place. I see Mike. Okay, this is going to be a really, okay, everybody in that area, just be careful. Whoa, that was low. Aiden, did that get you? You're good. Okay. 
Sometimes you just need something to hold you in place spiritually, and you're facing situations, and you're like, wow, I just need a firm foundation. It's one of the reasons, even as you walk into the church, you, you realize there's a verse. Has it, have anybody noticed this? Because one of the greeters was asking me about this. There's a verse as you walk through the church. Can anybody tell me what the verse is? As you walk into the front door, on the window, it's, it's by eight by four. And it's overlaid over the window. See how this works? This is how, I thought men just had this problem, but sometimes women actually don't pay attention either, apparently, to it. Have we seen this one? As you go out, and you're going out, look to the street over here, Montana, and above the brick building where we couldn't fix the window because it was just gone, we decided to just overlay it with a verse that has backlighting. And it's the verse that really, as we started out, that, we would build, that he would build this church on a what? On a rock, because sand doesn't do what? Doesn't hold you in place. What is an anchor for? It's to hold you in place. It's a firm foundation. And as we look at the anchor, and you you might remember this, that the, you know, a lot of times we you look around and you see people with crosses around their neck. And that's a sign of what? Well, it could be a sign of what should it mean? That they're a Christian and that they see the cross. They see the cross in a way that is something that to, to glorify God, really. It's just a symbol of, of Christ dying for us on the, on the cross. But do you realize that the early Christians didn't wear crosses? They didn't do cro- a cross on your neck when you saw what happened to Jesus? That would not go over well. They wore what? Anchors. That was not what they wore, but that's how their symbol is. And you look into the, into the, the tombs of Christians from about... Jesus' time until about 300, 350 A.D. to the time of Constantine, you will see that the Christian symbol was not a cross, but an anchor. Why? They were going through some difficult times, and they needed something that would anchor them to, to that. And it's neat that the, the anchor actually looks like a cross. I mean, if you go kind of imaginary-wise, at least in my mind it does. Maybe for you who are a little more artistic, that doesn't work. But for me, I'm like, yeah, that works for me. But the anchor has more symbolism in the sense of holding us firmly to what is future. And what anchors us is our hope in the future of what God is going to do, but also what he's doing presently. And so just recognizing that is really important as we just recognize that we are such a blessed people, that we are not being persecuted at this time, and that our anchor and our look, our look forward into the future is this one of hope of being with Christ. And what a blessing it is to think forward to what we have in Christ as we are children of, of God, not, not dead, completely alive. First Peter writes about this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, not a dead hope, not something that's just going to just go away, like, you know, like what these kids ask for. The color TV, I can't tell you how many big color TVs have, have gone to the dump. Can you imagine the big, and I'm talking the big ones that used to have people kind of like three or four people have to haul. You know, you know yeah, you know them because you got rid of them, right? And you think at one point in time, someone was drooling over that on the, on the, in Walmart or wherever they were looking at this or on whatever, Amazon. They were looking at this TV like it was going to be their what? Their hope. It was what they're looking forward to. And it's now what? It's dead. It's not living. Our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the avenue from the dead and into an inheritance 
We are so spiritually rich because we are in Christ that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. It's kept there for us. Like, it's not going to just go away. It's not going to just be something that is just temporary. It is securely kept in heaven for us. What is the focus of your hope? Well, it's what we've heard about Jesus and what we know about Jesus. And two-thirds of the prophecy about Jesus are still yet to come. And you think, I know everything about Jesus. I've read the red letters, been through all the Gospels multiple times. I bet the Old Testament th- saints would have said they thought they had God, God in a box too. They, they, they would have said, I understand what's going to happen. We, we know the rules. We got the rules. We have the rules down. And then all of a sudden, Jesus come. And he was so iconoclastic, he broke everything down because something new had to come. And because of that new thing that comes, we recognize that we, we really can't, our eye is not seen, our ear is not heard, what we're going to experience. What is it going to be really like? Unbelievable. The lion and the lamb laying down together, and that's, that kind of gets you thinking, and you can think about that for a little while, then you realize, wow, we are going to be in his presence forever and you will never get tired. You will never get bored with, with, with worship. Sometimes you're like, oh, my arms are tired. Arms won't get tired. I can't clap. You will, you will be able to worship perfectly. And then think of this. If you can't sing, you get to sing in heaven like an angel. And I, and I don't know what language we're going to sing or anything, but our focus is going to be on Jesus And the whole focus of that is to be able to realize that Jesus is our living hope, that he is the one who is the priest, that he goes behind, he's the high priest. Remember the high priest? And and Jesus Jesus predicted that, he said, not a a stone will be be left in Jerusalem. In AD 70, as Titus rolled through in the Roman army, he just leveled the temple, never to be worshipped again. And you realize, wow, Jesus was speaking truth because Jesus, the one who is our high priest, and he is the high priest. But in reality, what we won't, what we'll recognize in heaven is that he is the priest who administers forgiveness for us, not by, by sacrificing an animal, but because he was the lamb. He was the one who went to, uh, went to the uh, cross because of us and for us. By faith, we have sure, assure, assurance of hope. That's Hebrews 11.1 1 right there. And he is our advocate as we come to the Father and then we approach this Father with confidence. The reason why we come, come to him is because of Christ who allowed us to have a relationship with him. And when we're allowing or when we're going through life, we're going to face persecution. You will face persecution this week. You're going to go to work. or you're Okay, so you have relationships with people and there's some, going to be some difficulty different things that you go through that you're going to need to have an anchor to your soul and realizing that no matter what happens, your relationship with God is secure. It is the one thing in this world that is actually secure. Hebrews 2.1 says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. One of the most painful things as a pastor is to see someone who's walking with the Lord, and then all of a sudden you don't see them at church or you, you hear about something and you just realize that they drift away. It, it's like if you're a parent and you have a child that drifts away. It's, it's sort of similar in that way. You just realize, whoa, we need anchors. Every one of you drop your anchor. 
Get in the word. Get into it. Pray, be praying and allowing yourself to be taking in Christ and that living hope so that you have an anchor for your soul because it is so important, especially as you go through difficulty. And as difficulty is part of this life, as Jesus said, you will have, you will have trouble. The fact that the anchor was a symbol for Christianity for 300 years is so important for us to realize that, that is, this anchor is really just this living relationship that we have with Christ. In fact, the symbol in Greek, inkira, resembles the anchor, which means in the Lord. It had a meaning. It was you were in the Lord if you had an anchor. You, were, you, were, you had hope in the Lord. You were trusting in the Lord. It wasn't in your government. It wasn't in the next politician that was going to come to power or what the next bill that was going to be passed, your hope was what? In the Lord. It was your anchor. It was what, was what you trusted in for the future. So steps to restore hope during a time maybe when you're going through some difficulty. Worship, so important. It's important that you be here. And I know there's online church, and it's, some, it's amazing. There are people in this church right here this morning that by watching a DVD player back when that was still going on, and maybe even some VCRs, I can't remember specifically, but they actually came to a point where the person who was saying to them was preaching every single time that they would watch it, actually said, if you don't belong to a local body church, you need to find one, and basically don't come back next week for the next CD until you do. What was he saying? It's very important that you worship with God's people. It's one thing to miss it because you're ill or whatever, and maybe you miss a, a, you know, coming to church for that reason. But boy, Hebrews 10.24 and 10.25 is very, very clear. Do not forsake the assembling. Why? Because it keeps us grounded. It's part of anchoring us to him and to his people. Read his word. Spend time in his word. Come consistently in prayer with him as you spend your time, uh, not just on Sundays, obviously, but also during the week. And then not only a Sunday, but a small group. If you're not in a small group, boy, if you've never experienced a small group, you need to experience one. Honestly, if you were in a small group, I would not even worry about you spiritually. I would not worry about you. I've seen very few people drift away when they're in a small group. When they're out of a small group, the fatalities are a lot larger. I just want you to recognize that. And if you want to bulletproof your life and put some anchors down, it doesn't guarantee anything, but boy, it really helps. And I'm just giving you how, how to do that, how to restore that spiritual hope that you have. Get to know Jesus through prayer, word, through fellowship, through small groups, through all the avenues that we kind of provide for you here. Get to know his promises. What is the promise that he has for you? I didn't know any of the promises in Christ. Someone just said, Jesus can take your sins away. And I was just like, I was on board for that one. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I'll take Jesus. I mean, I'll take Jesus for his mercy. And then you realize, oh, really? I mean, not only do you take my sins, but you also do what? You actually sign adoption papers, adopting me into the greatest family that ever will possibly even be. And that my inheritance is, is, is with Jesus in heaven and unbelievable, uh, unimaginable things. That is our hope. And so to know his promises helps us to know what we are, what we, who we belong to and how important that is. And then live expectantly of the return of our blessed hope, Jesus Christ, because that is what we are looking forward to is his return when he comes back and he, he makes uh, all things new. Hebrews.
11. Some face jeers and flogging. He's speaking to people who have just been, they've been, they've gone through Hebrews 11. They've been faithful. They've been gone through all of these persecutions and difficulties. And he's just describing what happened to them. Some face jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sodden too. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in the holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And what does that mean? It means that at some point in time, we are all going to worship God together. Those people in Hebrews that we're reading about nearly 2,000 years ago, are, are looking forward to the same thing that we hope for. And we, together with them, will actually experience that as we look forward to our blessed hope, that appearing to him. In his book, Dare to Believe, Dan Bauman illustrates what, is like, what it is like to know that something is yours even though you have to wait for it. Okay, so as kids, maybe you looked at the Christmas tree and you're looking under the Christmas tree and you're looking at these packages. He says this, you may even have it in hand, but you are not able to enjoy it out of the box. He says that when he was young, he always did a lot of snooping at Christmas time, trying to find his gift and figure out what, was what, it, what it was that was wrapped in packages that his mom hid. One year, he discovered a large package with his name on it that he knew was a set of golf clubs. One shake of that box revealed the unmistakable sound of clubs. He says, when mom wasn't around, I would go and feel the package, shake it, and pretend that I was on the golf course. The point is, I was already enjoying the pleasures of a future event, namely the unwrapping. It had my name on it. I knew what it was. It was his, but it would not be handed over to him until Christmas morning. Then he would see with his eyes what before he had only seen in his heart. Christmas means that Christ has given us the gift of heaven. At this point, it is still wrapped, but the package has our name on it. We know that what awaits us, it is ours. We would never have received the gift if it were not for Christmas, but we wait longingly for the day when we will enjoy the gift of heaven and all of its unwrapped wonder. And as the Bible says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new, new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The day will come when we will too hear these words. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And as we look at that, we recognize that 1 Peter talks much like this. He says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is the inheritance kept in heaven for you.